Well, good morning, everybody. I am uh, Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors uh, here. If I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in, please find me as well as Jennifer on the way out. <laughs> um, um, I'll tell you, I miss being here. When I'm gone for one week, it's like I'm just, I, I miss worshiping with you all. Um, I'll tell you, earbuds on a plane listening to worship music just is not the same as this. And, um, I mean, some worship music, some dire straits, you know. I mean, uh, this morning, we're, Gene started us off last week in part three of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter seven. So if you don't, if you don't have a Bible, there's, there's some scattered around, um, grab one or, you know, pull it up on your phone or whatever. But um, part three is that, right, so, so part one was that we were enslaved to sin, right? Part two was that God rescues us from sin. And part three here is that we're adopted by God. And so we're going to talk about what this looks like. What does adoption look like? Because it's a word that we use, right? And if you've been rolling around in like Christian circles, you're like, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm familiar with it. I'm certainly familiar with it from, a, from a, how we adopt, you know, children and, and things like that, right? But, but what does it really mean for us to be adopted by God? So I'm going to talk about this morning, well, Paul's going to talk about, by the Holy Spirit, God's talking about, in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25, the perks of being adopted. And that's really what it is. It's, it's what does this new life look like for us? Um, there are perks. There's, there's, a, there's a changed life that is, that is exciting and beautiful and amazing and incredible and and the fact that we, like, think of this in, like, some sort of somber, religious kind of overtone is a shame, really. Because it's absolutely, fundamentally incredible what God gives us being adopted children of God. And that, that, that line, like, I, I've sang this song before, but, like, I hadn't uh, really. <laughs> See, I always do this. I always quote the line, and then I forget the quote. Come... <laughs> Come wrestle with us and win. Come wrestle with, like, what he's, what he's pointing back to in Psalm 46 is he's pointing back to uh, God wrestling with Jacob, with Israel, right? Like, like this, and think about that for a second. Do you want God to wrestle with you, to wrestle with your, your life, to mess around with your circumstances and win? You should, because he knows what's best for us. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because we kind of go, well, no, actually, if he could be over here, I'll be over here, right? Like, that's kind of where we go to, and we've, we've walked through that as we've gone through the first six chapters in Romans. But this is, this is a changed heart. This is what adopted children of God, this is, this is what it's going to look like. And so we're going to walk through this, and we're going to talk about, in particular, how do we deal with sin in our lives? How do we see it? How do we interpret our circumstances? How do we see the world that we live in? How do we interpret all of these things? Because as adopted children of God with changed hearts, with the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, it's different. It's entirely different. And maybe this is a, a time this morning where we, we, where we reflect and we go, well, does it look different in my life? Should it look different in my life? And so if, if you're in here this morning and you're like, I, I've never placed my trust in Christ, this, I hope this sounds like a message of good news, because it is. 
Like, this is how we can navigate life. This is what God intends for us in this life. Um, and if you are a follower, this is a good opportunity for us. Like, is this, is this, how, is this how my relationship is with God? Because it's very clear when we go through Romans 7 how God sees what our relationship should look like and, and what he's built it to be. So before I got, dive in, let me, uh, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. And God, as we, as we walk through your word this morning, we pray that it would change us. Wrestle with us, God. Win. We want you to win because you are a sovereign, loving, gracious, merciful God. And we are so the opposite. And so we just ask, Father, that you would open our eyes this morning, help us to understand, and help us to see this gift that you've given us through adoption. We pray this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So I'm going to, as I normally do, we're going to back up, and we're going to hit the verses that we kind of Hopefully this week in your small groups or in your own personal study time, you, you, you read through, I think it was Romans 7, 7 through 14. Thank you. So 7, 7 through 14. So we're going to back up, and I'm going to start in Romans 7, 12. And that's where we're going to start. And the verses are going to be on the screen as well. I'll be reading from the ESV. Um, so what, what Gene talked about last week, right, was this change in our relationship. And in particular, what he identified is that, that we serve in a different way now. You remember this, right? He talked about like there was this old marriage and now there's this new marriage. Like we were enslaved to the law. We were trying to just be obedient. And, and, our, and our lives were just like this, this, and it was us that jacked it up, right? It's sin. And, and Paul's going to go in and explain this. Like, like this marriage relationship that we had with the law was, was unhealthy. We made it unhealthy and we were enslaved to it, and we were just trying to, like, just give me the checklist. Give me the next thing that I should do. And if I just do all these things, God's going to be pleased with me. And what he says is now, now as adopted children, we serve in a new way, in a different way, as adopted children. Now there's a relationship. In fact, we, we spent time, uh, I was talking to one of my daughters about, like, the difference between what, what and I, I just, I don't like the word belief. I like the word trust. And I think you can go to either one of those with the Greek and, and interpret it. Because belief is like, I believe a lot of things. Some are probably not true. But, but I believe a lot of things, right? But trust is a relationship. It's not, it's not, do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. But you trust that God has your best interests in mind. That, that God loves you more than you love you that God cares for you, and that he sees your life perfectly, loves you despite you, and, he, and his interests are for your good and ultimately his glory. And so you can say things like, come wrestle with me and win, God. Be right. I want to be wrong. I'm okay with being wrong. That's, that's, not, that's not a normal Thing. That's not normally how we operate. 
And so, so Paul lays this out here, right? And Jean talked about this last week. And then what we read in verses 7 through 14 is Paul then backs up and he's like, don't get me wrong. The Old Testament law is not bad. It's not. In fact, read uh, Romans 7, 12. He says, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Paul's intent here is not to throw the law under the bus and just go, we don't care about the law anymore, we're discarding that. What did Jesus come to do? Fulfill the law, right? We talked about this. There's, there's conventionally, there's different theological terms associated with how to deal with the law now on this side of Christ, right? Now as, as followers of Christ, what does that look like? And people often divide it up into a moral law, a ceremonial law, and a civil law. The moral law, thou shalt not kill, right? Like the first few of those, like those are objectively right and wrong. They describe the characteristics of God. God exists, and what he says is right is right, and what he says is wrong is wrong. And it's part of his character. It's not like he just writes these things out. He defines morality. And so the moral part of the law is just a reflection of God's morality. And so therefore, those truths are always going to hold. Always. And then you get into the ceremonial laws, right? You start getting into sacrifices and celebrations and all of those things. This was in, in foods, right? Like the different foods, that, as you read through the Old Testament, there's all these different foods that you can and can't eat, unclean and clean, all these rules. Well, what was the point of that? It was that God was reflecting that he wanted Israel to be set apart to be distinct from the rest of the nations, to be holy for his purposes. Well, now we have the same purpose, right? Our, our lives are the same, right? We're called to be holy as God is holy. We're called to be set apart for his purposes, each one of us. And so the, the truth still holds. We just don't apply it in the same sense that it did, was applicable for Israel, right? Does that make sense? So like that holiness, that set-apartness is the same. It's still there. The Old Testament was still trying to reflect that attribute of God. And then the third one is civil. We should be for order. God is for order. Organization, governments, the Bible is very clear, right, that, that our, our objectives are not to usurp authority or overthrow kingdoms, and, and right? In fact, it says that God placed them there. And so we should be for order. And in the same sense that he said, hey, Israel, this is the order I'm going to establish, same in our lives. So the law is holy, righteous, and good. So don't take this. And, and I, I'm afraid, I think, as Christians, we often basically take the first part of this and go, this doesn't apply to me anymore. I don't care about it. That's not God's intent with the Old Testament law. And this is why Paul immediately says that after he's talking about our slavery to the law. It's not that the law was bad. It's that we were bad. In fact, if you look at verses 7, uh, 13, he says, did that which is good then bring death to me? Like talking about the law? He says, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, the law, in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. You see, when... When we look at God's desires for morality and order and holiness, we summarily fall short on all three accounts, right? We're immoral, 
We merge in with the world instead of being distinct from the world. We rebel against every form of authority that gets put in front of us that we don't like. Don't we? Kids certainly do. I know I do. I'm like, I often tell people I'm like the worst military man ever because like, like I, I don't like being told what to do. And so what did the law do? The law reveals that to us. It reveals this like, I'm jacked up. We're all messed up, right? And so he says, sin beyond measure, right? Like, like the law should show us, man, we are way far from God's standard of holiness. Unreachably so. Like, we can't get there on our own. There's nothing you can do to get there. And that's why Christ comes, right? That's why God establishes a rescue plan for us. Because he knows that we can't do it on our own, so he's coming to do it for us. And so Paul summarizes this, and this was the last verse that you guys read uh, this week. In verse 14, he summarizes this, and he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. We just read that we were set free from sin, right? earlier in, in Romans, that we have this new life. And so what does Paul mean here? He's like, he says, I'm sold under sin. What Paul's doing is he's establishing this tension in our lives that we all know exists. And this is, and this is what, what do we do with this tension? Do we have the tension is the first question. The second question is, what do we do with it? In fact, the, the, right, the, the actual Greek for this, when it says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, it actually says, but I am carnal. The law is spiritual, and I'm carnal. I'm fleshly. I pursue the things that, that feel good, that are easy, and not the things that, that are spiritual, that are holy, righteous, and good. And, and we all experience this predicament in our lives. And so what he's going to do now is he's going to launch off of that verse, and he's going to say, let's walk through how we deal with this. And it's, it's beautiful. I mean, Paul just lays out his, how he actually feels and how the Holy Spirit inspires him to write this. And he goes, this is how I see sin in my life. As an adopted child of God, this is how I navigate what we call indwelling sin. Is anybody here sinless? Everybody's going to sin in the next week, right? Okay, that's indwelling sin. Even if you're a believer, it's not as if, right, we're going to go have baptisms uh, this next Sunday down on the beach, right? I mean, this is going to be an awesome opportunity to celebrate. But I guarantee you and I promise you that the people that come up out of that, that, well, those waters are going to be sinning afterwards just like they were before. Maybe not just like. I mean, I probably shouldn't use those words. But, right, and so we're going to navigate through this. What does that look like? Why is this still in us? Like, did God, was God not strong enough? Like, why didn't he just take sin away entirely? Why do we sit here and still wrestle with sin? And frankly, those last three questions I'm not going to answer today, but you can ponder them and think about them. I don't know why, but we do know that it's true that we have indwelling sin. And I, I'll, I will actually quote him later, but there's a, it's a good book. It's a little, it's a little, uh, archaic it's like 17th century a guy named john owen uh wrote on indwelling sin in believers it's i've got the audible book i don't really like the guy's voice but 
it's okay. Um, I need him to be British, right? Didn't we talk about this a couple weeks ago? Um, <laughs> sorry. But it's, it's, it's incredible. And he spends this whole book going like, how do we navigate this? And he basically is running off of Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 is such an incredible treatise of what it looks like to be an adopted child of God. I would encourage all of us to like just read it, read it over and over again. And it even leeches into Romans 8. And then in 9, God hits sovereignty and his dominion over the world and all of these things. And so 7 and 8 are these beautiful chapters of like, what does it look like for us? How do we now live? And it should cause a smile to come on our faces. It should cause us to be excited. Because being an adopted child of God is, is astonishing. And I, I, I really like, and I get it. Like I, I feel like I'm, I'm doing a sales pitch here. Because I, I feel like we all kind of just wrestle, sit down into our seats. And we're kind of like, yeah, I'm adopted child of God. It's cool. I can sing the songs and stuff. But it should create excitement, guys. Because God gives us his Holy Spirit. He changes our hearts and everything changes. Now, I know you might be like, well, no, everything didn't change. But it does. The way we interpret our circumstances, how we see sin, how we discover sin in our lives is so incredibly beautiful. The world does not have the capacity to discover sin in their lives. They don't. And so we're going to walk through that. All right. So he's going to give us four ways. Four ways we treat sin. The first one is we should be exasperated by sin. It should be exasperating to us. Look at what Paul says in Romans seven fifteen. He says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I quote this verse all the time, don't I? It's a great verse because I'm like, yep, that's about my life. I know what I want to do, don't we? Like if you were to, every circumstance in your life, if somebody was to say like, hey, before you execute anything, you just like, what was the show? Um. Was it Bewitched, I think, where she froze time? Was it? It's probably not appropriate setting to talk about Bewitched. I just thought about, anyway, I don't plan these parts. But, right, like, like when you want to make a decision, you just freeze time. And then you write down on a piece of paper how you ought to respond. Spend an hour, two hours. How should I respond? How would you advise somebody else to respond? Well, these are easy. We know intellectually what's the mature What's the responsible? What's the diligent? What's, what's the long view of things? Right? That's, it's actually not that hard. And yet, what do we do? Our carnal selves, our flesh responds reactively, emotionally, selfishly, short-sightedly. And we just, we, and, we, and we live that way, right? And it's like, here, here's the reaction. And you're like, ah. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to say that. I wish I would have said that differently. I wish I would have acted differently. I wish. Isn't this what we, what we live in our lives? Isn't it exasperating? Could you imagine if you were just like aligned? And like you always responded the way that you would respond if you had all the time in the world? You never have like fits of anger 
you'd never be impatient? You'd always give people an excuse? You'd show grace and mercy. Wouldn't that be beautiful? And so we got to wrestle with this. And we got to go, well, why? Why is it like that? And am I exasperated about it? Does that create a frustration in us? See, as adopted children of God, it should, right? Like we should sit here and go, yes, I want to do these things, and I know God would be glorified with these things, and I know, like, I know everything would be better if I did these things, but I just, I don't know why I do the things I do. That's what Paul says. And so we, we should feel this exasperation. In fact, uh, and I, I think this was John Owen, although I couldn't find the, ver- or the, the quote after I read through it. That's the point of audible books. I, I don't like them because I'm like driving and I can't take notes. But anyway, but he's like, the world swims with the current. There's no tension. It's easy to swim with the current. But when we have a changed heart, we're swimming against the current. And so we feel this tension the whole time. We're swimming upstream, right? We go, this is where, this is, you know, where I want to go, but Sometimes it's just easier to go with the current, and then you're, you're trying to go upstream again, and you're going with the current, right? Like, this is our lives. So when the world doesn't have the conflict you have, or the tension you have, or the consternation or the exasperation, you, whatever object, ad, adjective I can throw, throw out there, that doesn't mean they're right. It means they're just swimming with the current. In fact, Scripture tells us that we're going to have this conflict. It tells us we're going to have this tension. And so we, as adopted children of God, are aware of this. And we go, thank goodness I know this. Right? Like, this is a good thing. you gotta, you got to identify this. Okay, well, great. I'm exasperated by it. What does that create? Well, it creates a longing for it to be reconciled, doesn't it? It, it gives us a longing for, like, eternity where we go, I, I can't wait. I can't wait for these things, because that's what's going to happen in eternity, right? Our, our affections are going to be aligned perfectly with God's. And there will not be this tension anymore. And it'll be a beautiful thing. So that's the first one. We, sh- we should be exasperated by sin. The second one, we should be repulsed by sin. Okay? This is the changed heart. Look at what he says in verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. I'm going to read that one more time. (laughs) Seems like it's a riddle at this point, doesn't it? If I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So what Paul is saying, I'm doing things but I don't want to do these things, right? Where we know that we shouldn't be doing these things or, or we, we look back on them and we're like, I shouldn't have done that. What are you doing? You're agreeing with God. To say I should not have done that is to say that there's a right response and that you did not do the right response. You are agreeing with God. You're agreeing with the law. That's a good place to be we're in agreement with god that's where we want to be you know who agrees with god adopted children of god because we see him we see his mercy we see his love we see his grace and we go that's that's what i want to be about 
I want to agree with that. And on the other side, those who are not adopted children of God, what do we do? Well, we, what did they do? They agree with sin. They justify sin. They say, hey, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want that. I don't agree with God in that. I don't agree with Scripture in that. I agree with myself. I agree with my carnal self. I agree with my sin. Now, I, I don't intend to make this a adopted children of God are always re responding in the correct way, and uh, those who are not adopted children of God are responding in the wrong way, right? It's not that clear of a line, right? It's not that clear of a delineation. But as adopted children of God, we have this gift of the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to see things differently. He changes our hearts. Okay? He changes them. What, what do we read? Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. And so he changes that. Now here's the thing. We use the word heart clearly not as the organ that it is. Right? We use it to denote affections and all. It's super blurry. If you ever do like some research on like why do we why do we talk about the heart in the way that we talk about the heart? And even scripture, right, when we walk through it. And so there's like a deceitful part of our heart, but then there's the heart, part of our heart that, that God changes. And there's this internal thing, and we're going to get to this. Our heart is messy. It's very difficult for us to navigate our hearts. So what does your heart tell you? Uh, I don't know. Do you really want to know what my heart tells me? Sometimes. Sometimes not. God changes my heart, so doesn't that make it good? Well, no, because I still got this deceitful heart, right? And so this is how we navigate these things. And so we should be repulsed by our sin. In other words, we should be agreeing with God and disagreeing with our flesh, disagreeing with the sin. Like when we see and experience and live out sin in our lives, as adopted children of God, it should be a stench. It should sadden us. Because we know what it leads to. Right? And, and not, even, not even, even saved believers, right? Even those who have been reconciled to God, we still know that sin causes devastation. And so it should repulse us. Not, not in that we like can't be around it, but like we should be saddened by what it does in our own personal lives and in the lives of each other. It should make us angry. This is the righteous indignation that Jesus shows, right? Like, like this is where, this is, the, this is the one place where we're allowed to go, I hate that. I hate sin. We can say that. You can't say that about anything else. But you can say, I hate sin. Right? So how do, we, how do we navigate this, this heart, this conflicted heart thing? Um, John Owens, again, he, um, he describes this as like, we have the ability to discover sin now that we didn't have before. It's, it's as if, like what's the worst enemy? The enemy that's outside the walls that's trying to attack or the spy that's inside? 
It's the spy that's inside the walls, right? That's moving around, that's subtle and deceitful, that's wrecking havoc inside the walls. Well, how do you know? How do you know who the spy is? The world doesn't know who the spy is. The world just sees everybody the same. In fact, the world would say, I can't believe you're calling out that person. Like, they've done nothing wrong. And you're like, but God's word says that they're a spy. I feel like I, 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 feel like I might have lost you on the, the metaphor. So I'm not, right? Like, he kind of personifies sin as a spy. You guys with me on this? Maybe? Okay, sorry. And so he, he's saying, like, like, we have the ability to, to look around and we're like, that's sin in my life. That's sin. That's not, I'm not, I'm agreeing with God here. That is sin. We can name it. We can call it out. In fact, Scripture encourages us to name our sin, to confess our sin to one another. That's why he gives us the church. So we can be together. We can encourage each other, right? And we can, we can point these things out to each other when we have a relationship with each other, okay? Make sure you have a relationship with somebody before you're pointing out sin in their lives as a good rule of thumb. Um, Right? Like, this is, this is huge. He gives us the ability to identify our sin, and the world doesn't have that ability. In fact, the world calls sin not sin. It calls the spy a friendly and walks alongside him and thinks that nothing is going to happen. Gives that sin access into their lives, access into the control room, access into the, right? Like, you see, you see how this works. And so as adopted children of God, we've been given this gift, this, the Holy Spirit that helps us see our sin in our lives and go, I don't want that. I don't like that. Doesn't mean it's going to be gone. Okay? This is the indwelling part of sin. You might not be able to kick the spy out. You will not be able to kick the spy, all of the spies out. They will always be a spy inside of the walls but you have the ability to recognize them. That's a gift from God as an adopted child of God. So if you in here are like, I'm not a follower of Christ, I'm telling you, this is what God gives you. He gives you the ability to recognize the things in your life that are going to destroy your life. Why aren't we sharing this with everybody? You guys, like, this is incredible. It's not that we have some, like, wise sages and we just like think well about things no in fact i was i was actually writing some of the sermon in the airport and the the lady across from me um was was typing on her laptop and i'm typing on my laptop um and she has a sticker on her laptop mine is coffee and the church but anyway hers was uh 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 i'm gonna miss See, I write these down, and then I delete them, and then I'm like, you know what I'm going to say? It It was, um, keep working until you're proud. Have you heard this? I Googled it. it it's like, it's, it's a fairly common thing. It took me down all sorts of rabbit trails. But it's like, keep working until you're proud of yourself. That was like the, it, I might be saying that wrong, but something to that effect. And I'm like, ooh, ooh, that's not, that's not right. Work, work hard at something until you're proud of what you've done? Well, that's not at all <laughs> what the Bible says. Why we should be working, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. It's working for the Lord, not for men. 
right? We want to boast in our weakness. We want to boast in Christ, right? Like, we are not boasting in our works. To be pursuing pride, like, that's the opposite of what we should be shooting for, is pride in our lives, biblically speaking. And see, the world reads that and goes, yeah, yeah, be proud of yourself. Work hard. You do you, you, right? Like, and as, as believers, as adopted children of God, we look at them and we go, ooh, I'm not so sure that that one aligns with Scripture. I'm not sure that it aligns with what God wants for my life. That's a gift, you guys. That's the Holy Spirit that, that does that, that gives you the ability to see those things. All right, the third one. We're victims of sin. I saw you guys like faces look, anticipating the next one. We're victims of sin. Now, I don't want you to take this as we have no culpability, okay? That's not what that means. We're still guilty of sin. But listen to what, how Paul describes sin in verses 17 through 20. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So, he, so first he says, it's not me that's doing it, it's sin that's doing it. And then he goes, I want to do good, I just don't have the ability. Seems like he's making a bunch of excuses, doesn't it? Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. It's, he says that twice. It's sin that dwells within me. How does Paul say, this isn't me that's doing this, this is sin that's doing this. I, I feel like, like, when I read this, I was like, feel like he's trying to whittle his way out of like guilt here but he he's not whittling out of it we're no longer guilty we've been judged right christ took our judgment we are now righteous this is the great exchange we always talk about right christ gave us his righteousness and he took our sins on him right and so now we can call out the sin and we're like listen I don't know what this thing is that's inside of me, these spies that are inside of me, but it's not what I want to do, and therefore it's not me that's doing it. You with me on this? This is a change in how we think and how we feel about sin in our lives. You get credit, I know this sounds weird, and I'm trying to be really careful with my words, you get credit for wanting to do the right thing and not wanting to do the wrong thing. That's the righteousness that God has given you through his Holy Spirit. It's like, it's like you're turning in homework. And you're like, I tried. Yeah, but you got them all wrong. Yeah, but I tried. All right, full credit. Awesome. That, that's why we go, we need Christ. Right? Because without him, it is, it, it's, it's an F. <laughs> right? But with Christ, we get an A before we even turn in the test. You see what I'm saying here? And so he, Paul's walking through this, and so he goes, I'm a victim of sin. 
I'm a victim. Sin is dwelling within me. It's this, it's this thing that, that resides inside of my walls, and I hate it. I'm repulsed by it. I'm exasperated by it. It's not me. I don't like it. I don't want it. And God goes, I know. I know. That's a beautiful thing, you guys. Because how does the world wrestle with that? The, the world looks at, looks at sin and goes, oh, I'm, not a, I'm not a victim of it. We, we embrace sin. Right? We rationalize. We justifies. I just made that word up. We justify our sin. That's what we do outside of Christ when we're not operating in the Spirit, right? Like That's what this looks like. Look at what he says in verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. God's saying, here's, here's what I want for you. You can't do this. Congratulations. Here, here's the instruction manual, right? We all, you hear people call this, like, which is horrible, actually, theology. Here's the instruction manual for life. You can't follow it. You won't. You'll fail. Here you go. <laughs> Have a couple versions of it. You need Christ. That's the point. That's what God's pointing to. He's like, he's like you need me. You need to trust me. You need me to reconcile you to the Father. Fourth one. We need to be diligent towards sin. Do not be lackadaisical about it. And this is, um, I, will, I will quote John Owen again, because it was really good. <laughs> and he says, our diligence should be proportional the danger. And I just, we, we flippantly deal with sin. Don't we? We tease with it, we toy with it, we play with it. As believers, and clearly unbelievers, right? But like, it's not a thing. It's, it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, but I've got Christ, and so I'm good. That's not what this picture looks like. He's like, do you understand the danger of sin? For, for those who are lost, right? Like, it, it continues them down this path of being lost. For those of us who are believers, and we go, ah, well, that's just sin. I, Jonathan said, I'm going to have indwelling sin, so it is what it is. What am I, what am I supposed to do? If he said it's always going to be here, so I might as well just, like, get used to it. No. No, not at all. Look at, what he, look at what Paul says in verse 21. So I find it to be a law. This is not the law. I find it to be a law. What's the law? That when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And by members, he's talking about, he's like, like our, our body, right? Like our, my, our hands and our mouths and, and what, how we live. He's like, there's a war raging on. Every time I try to do something good, evil's right there. So we got to be diligent 
I mean, think through this. And I, I, could, I could go down a list of these things, but let's just play out a couple of these things. You're going you're gonna to do some amazing um, service opportunity in the church or outside the church or wherever. Something that's very selfless. It's great. It's awesome. Really good that you're doing it. And you're like, I should do this. God's leading me to do this. And you do it. And then you go, I'm surprised I'm the only one doing this. Where's everybody else? I wonder if they're just not as righteous as me. Those thoughts ever pop in your mind? Or maybe, or maybe you're like waking up early in the morning and you're praying and, and you're like, I'm going to pray and I'm, I'm going to spend 10 minutes praying and you spend nine minutes thinking about all sorts of other things. And like every time you want to do something good, evil's like right there. You're like, get off of me. Like I just want to be free from this. And we got to be diligent towards it. We love others. We treat other people well, right? Like, like we, we give to somebody or we serve somebody in some capacity, and then their response is less than what we would expect. And we're like, hey, you want to say thank you? Yeah, maybe you could reciprocate. And it, it, just, it just trashes what we just did, right? Where we're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve somebody sacrificially. I'm going to do all this. And then, like, they, they just they don't give me the time of day. What was your motivation? You see how jacked up we are? And these things are so close to us. Every time we try to do good, is what Paul says, evil lies close at hand. And so we got to be diligent. We got to be thinking through what we're doing, why we're doing it, what are our motivations. Because what pops out is our ego. All the time. What do I deserve? What should I have? What, what, what's the proper thing? How do I get credit for this? How do I, right? This is, and in fact, Melissa and I were talking about the other, uh, last night, I think, like, um, like the world, like we all, right now, society, everybody wants to be known. Everybody wants to be somebody, for whatever reason, right? Like, they want to be famous on the internet or, or something, right? Like, like they want to be known, and whether it's, whether it's outside of the community or inside of the community, like people want to be known. And so there's this like deceptive thing that's like, oh no, it's good to be known. You're a good person. Everybody needs to know what you think about this, right? And God goes, I know you. Is that enough? I know you. And I love you. I know you better than you know you, and I love you. See, we, we don't need to be searching for being known. See, there's all these icky, gross motivations that lie so close. And this is where Paul goes, man, you've you got to be diligent. You've got to recognize that the threat's on your tail. You've got to recognize that it's right there. And then the last two verses he describes the summary here the good news he says verse 24 wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death that's how he describes his life as a believer this is paul saying this 
As a believer, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? Now, he's got an answer to it. It's going to be in the next verse. And it should be the same answer we have. Who delivers us from this? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he says, so then I, so then, like, so what's the conclusion out of all of this? Paul says, I myself, myself, me, I serve the law of God with my mind. Now my flesh (laughs) serves the law of sin all day long. That's, that's, period, that's the end, moving on. (laughs) That's, that's where Paul ends it. I mean, he's going to go on in chapter 8 and talk more about it. But, but like, that's like, his summary statement is there's a tension. There's a conflict in our lives. The conflict doesn't mean anything about your, the, the fragility of your salvation or anything like that. In fact, the, the existence of that conflict, I've said this often, is that it means that you possess the Holy Spirit. That God has changed your heart, given you new desires, giving you new affections, and throughout your life, those affections are going to get closer and closer to God's affections. And that's a good thing. And so we say, God, come, wrestle with me now. Win. Open my eyes. Help me to see sin. I had an a impromptu conversation. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it um, last night uh, with some of the youth. It was pretty cool. So there, there's... I, th- I think, I've had about 12 hours to think through this. I think there's three sins, three ways that we sin. So out of all of this, right, there's unintentional sins. There's sins that we just, right, like, I just, I, I wish they would go away, right? Like, I just respond, right? Maybe, maybe a customer service is bad somewhere. <laughs> maybe, maybe your spouse says something, your kids say you just react in the wrong way or, or whatever, Right? They're unintentional. But then there's intentional sins. Hebrews 10.26 says, if we go on sinning deliberately, there is no sacrifice for sins left. In other words, if we're we're going, that's sin, and I'm going to go do it, you need to really question your relationship with the Father. You with me? Because, Because if you trust him, then you're trusting him that, that this is wrong. You're agreeing with him that this is right and that's wrong, and so I should not want to do what's wrong. Now, say all that, there's a lot, of, a lot of murky waters there, right? As far as just mental health and a lot of addictions and things like that. So I don't want to draw these lines too, too sharply, okay? I would never presume to do that. But, but in general... Scripture is very clear that if we're going off intentionally sinning, you're in a, that's, a, that's a bad place to be, okay? And I'd encourage you, go read Hebrews 10. But there's a third one, and it's intentional sin that you have yet to be convicted of, right? The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, and we live a life of sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ. And that means tomorrow, you may wake up in the morning, you're like, that's sin, I didn't realize, I, I, didn't, I never really thought of it that way. And you were living and you were doing something intentionally, and now you're like, that clearly is against what God wants me to do. You're now at a crossroads. You're at a crossroads. Do you trust God? Do you want him to win? Or are you going to justify it, rationalize it, 
And how that conviction comes about, maybe because of other believers speaking into your lives, maybe something that you read, maybe you're praying, and all of a sudden you, the Holy Spirit like throws a thought in there, like, like, ah, get out, get out. I don't want to stop doing that. I think those are the three. And so as, as followers of Christ, as adopted children of God, we need to be looking at our lives diligently and going, man, thank God for Christ. Thank God that he rescued us through Jesus because we are a sorry bunch. And there's nothing we can do about it because those, those are going to continue in our lives. Now, as believers, we ought not to have an intentional sin that we're like going out going like, hey, this is, this is going to be fun. That's where our affections are so this is a beautiful piece, right? Because if there is something in our lives that is characteristically different that the world sees, that we experience as followers of Christ, it's this. How do we deal with sin? How do we deal with the circumstances of life? How do we navigate these waters? How do we think correctly about what's happening? And God gives us this gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell within us cause us to be exasperated by sin, to be repulsed by it, to recognize that we're not guilty, we don't need to be guilty or ashamed of it or anything like that. It's, it's a known fact. There's nothing that's surprising to anybody. And that we got to be diligent towards our lives and how we live. Those are beautiful gifts of God. Let me pray.